Well, thank you, Kevin. Again, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor of Grace Point Church. Thank you for joining us this morning. Glad to have you with us. If you're listening online later or uh, joining us on Facebook uh, Live right now, glad to have you with us. Uh, this morning, I want to tell you a story. And I want to tell a story to people who, um, whose hearts have ever been afraid of losing something important to them or people who have actually ever lost something very important to them. This morning is a story about hope and loss and grief and hope again. It's a story for anybody who has looked around at a God who they think might be good, but has wondered why would a God who is good allow what he could prevent? Have you ever asked those questions and wondered about the mysteries like that? Today is a story for you. Today is also a story where we find the main character who has the capacity to answer and un- lock all of the mysteries around this question of why does God allow what he could prevent? And instead of answering the question and resolving the mystery, does something very different and very powerful. And so if you want to go on that journey with me, I want to take you back in time. I want to take you to a little city, a little town actually, called Bethany. Bethany sits just a mile and a half off of Jerusalem. It's down and kind of out of the way of Jerusalem by a footpath. This is an actual photograph taken in Jesus' day. This is an artist's rendering of Bethany. And Bethany, on a mile and a half footpath away from Jerusalem, was out and out of the way. Um, This is where people who are invalids would go to live. So if you had leprosy, you went to Bethany. If you were disabled, you went to Bethany. Part of the benefit of living in Jerusalem is that when you went up to worship on the Temple Mount, you could look over and see the beautiful vista, but the good news for you is you wouldn't have to see Bethany. You wouldn't have to see all the unclean and all the disabled and all those who weren't quite up to whatever standards you might think cleanliness is. Bethany is that place for them. Bethany got a nickname. Bethany became known as the House of Misery. You can understand why. There's only a few hundred people who lived in Bethany, And you can imagine what kind of place it might be. In Bethany lived a man named Simon the leper. And Simon the leper, we read about Jesus actually going into Bethany and going into Simon the leper's house and sitting with him and reclining at his table with the disciples in Bethany, in a leper's home. If you know anything about lepers in the Bible, we know that lepers had to announce themselves into every city that they went Before you even saw them, you heard them. Unclean, 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 they had to announce before they got anywhere near you. And here's Jesus in Bethany, in Simon the leper's house. And in that moment, in walks somebody through the front door who becomes a close friend of Jesus. Mary walks in. She takes what was called an alabaster jar of pure nard, a, a an incredibly expensive perfume, one that would cost about a year's wages, and breaks it, puts it on Jesus' feet, and wipes his feet with her hair, anointing him with this. You can imagine if you're someone who likes to solve problems, maybe like, I do too much, you could sit there around that table as a disciple of Jesus and think, what a waste. We're in Bethany. Do you know how much a full year's wages would, would go, how far that would go to making this a better place? You've just put thirty, fifty, seventy thousand dollars on Jesus' feet. Look at the programs we could start here. Think about how we could make this a better place. 
And indeed, that's what they said. One of the disciples, you're going to know who this guy is, Judas. Upon seeing that, Judas says, enough is enough. Jesus didn't turn that away. He clearly doesn't care. And Judas gives up on Jesus as Messiah in that moment and goes to start the betrayal process. So this is Jesus engaged in Bethany, making friends in Bethany with Simon and then also with Mary and Mary's sister Martha. They became close friends. And over time, as Jesus' ministry went on and he moved on from Bethany and was kind of walking all around um, the Jerusalem area and around that area, Mary and Martha's brother got sick. And as, as it would be, you couldn't text Jesus and let him know what's going on, and so you have to send a message to him. And, and Jesus, we believe, was about a day's journey away when he got this message from Mary and Martha. Here's what it said. Lord, the one you love is sick. This, I don't have to guess about what was said, and the things that I'm going to throw up on the screen here are actually coming from the writings of one of the people who followed Jesus named John. John wrote all this down in John chapter 11 in your, in your Bible in the New Testament. You can check that out anytime you want to, but I'm just going to tell you this story this morning. John records this, that Mary and Martha sent Jesus a note, says, Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't even use his name. It was their brother. They didn't even use his name because he knew this is the one, the one you love. Let me ask you this. If you're traveling on vacation and you get a message from someone who is so close to you that says, hey, the one you love is sick. Your friend, the one you spend so much time with, they're sick. Like, they're seriously sick. This isn't just a runny nose. This is a, this is a big deal. And they're in Bethany, which likely means things aren't going to go well. And here's what Jesus does next. I don't know what you would do on vacation, but if you're any kind of good friend, you would at least think about, can we turn around? Can we get an early plane ticket home? Can we turn the car around? Can we get back to support this person? Here's what Jesus says. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Why? And the disciples, I'm guessing this part now, but I can almost imagine the disciples asking Jesus, come on, Jesus, like, he's sick. I mean, he's in Bethany. He's... It is not going to end well. To which Jesus says this, don't worry. He said, this sickness, this sickness won't end in death. Well, to be honest, Jesus couldn't have been more wrong. Because this is exactly what this sickness ended in. In death. After two days, Jesus decides to go back, and he makes the one-day trip back to Bethany. And so at that point, Martha has sent the letter. Mary and Martha has sent the letter. Martha is more outgoing and energetic. Mary is a little more introverted and quiet, okay? Martha sends the letter. She knows it's a day to get out to Jesus and a day for him to come back. She's expecting that maybe by the next day, come sundown, Jesus would arrive. But it's now going on the fourth day. She's been waiting for at least two extra full days. But she's out on the path, and she meets Jesus along the way. And can you imagine what Martha would say to Jesus? Because her brother is now dead. What took you so long? Why didn't you come? In fact, here's what she said. John records it. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you relate to that? If you would have been here, Jesus, you know it and I know it. We all know it. My brother wouldn't have died. 
And Martha meets him on the road and says that to him. Then he engages Martha and he talks to her about her faith. And it's in here that he declares to her, he says, Martha, I want you to understand, do you believe in me? And she says, yes, I believe in you. Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Yes, I believe in that. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? He says to her. And she says, yes, I believe that. And she's thinking future time, later time, sometime in the future, Everything will be fine, maybe, but let me get back to right now. Lord, if you would have been here now, forget about the future. Right now, I'm in pain. Right now, my brother has died. And if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Meanwhile, Martha knows that Mary wants to see Jesus. I mean, good grief. She puts a year's worth of perfume on his feet. She's got a close relationship with him. But she's in the home, and so she goes to get Mary. And, and Mary, her grief is so overwhelming to her that she can't even come out yet to see anybody. And so she goes into the home. Martha goes into the home in Bethany and, and tells Mary, Mary, the master is here to see you. And so Mary gets up, but, but in the home also are, are mourners and friends and family, people who are grieving with Mary. And so it's not just Mary in the house, it's what I think are dozens of people. I don't know how many, but I'm just assuming there's at least dozens of people gathered around mourning with her, as was the practice, to weep and wail loudly, just to embrace the pain that someone is going through and to be there. And so in the home is Mary with all these people around, and so Mary finally comes out of the home, and with her come all the mourners alongside of her, and they make their way to Jesus, who is still outside greeting people as he makes his way back into Bethany, a town that he regularly visits. And when Mary sees Jesus, you know what he, she says? The same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And meanwhile, right around Mary are all the people who had been mourning with her. And right behind her are all these people gathered, and they begin to talk amongst themselves. And John, the follower of Jesus, who wrote all this down for us, we don't have to guess what happened, he tells us that they were kind of chatting amongst themselves, saying, couldn't this man who healed the blind man, and John records that in John chapter 9, couldn't the man who did that, couldn't he have saved Lazarus? And then they, they put it this way. They say, the crowd says, if Jesus would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Can you imagine if you're Jesus? What do you do in that moment? What do you say in that moment? When the eyes of everybody are upon you, when standing there, you made the decision to avoid coming back for two days, the disciples are looking at you, and they're thinking, Jesus, you told us this wouldn't end in death, and here he is dead. Martha is saying, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Mary says, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And the crowds are saying, uh, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. What are you going to do? Of all the people in the world, you have the ability to resolve the mystery of why is it that God allows what he could prevent why is it that pain is allowed in a space? And Jesus, why did you choose to be absent for two days when you could have come and you know that they are right? If you would have been here, you had the power to heal. And so here's how Jesus responds. Verse 33 of John chapter 11, we read this. When Jesus saw her weeping, meaning Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Jesus' first reaction wasn't, I owe them a logical explanation. Jesus' first reaction wasn't, I need to resolve the mysteries of the universe. Jesus' first reaction wasn't, they actually need an answer. Jesus' first reaction was, they need my presence, my empathy, my care. And this is where we get the shortest verse in the Bible right after this. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That Jesus entered into the space of their pain and didn't answer the question, didn't address the ob uh, objection. If you would have been here, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, if you would have been here. Instead of saying, you know what, I have bigger plans, there's a hope in a future, instead of laying out a logical reason why he wasn't there, he just enters their pain and weeps with them. Make no mistake, oh, he could have resolved it, but he didn't. He entered the space. Let me ask you this, have you ever been there? Have you ever been where these people have been, where Martha and Mary and the crowd has been? If you haven't been, you will be. You ever feel this way? God, if you would have been here, fill in the blank. If you would have been here, fill in the blank. If you would have been here, I wouldn't have lost my friend. Come on, if, if you would have been here, my loved one would be here for Christmas. And they're not. If you would have been here, I never would have gotten the disease. God, if you would have been here, my kids would have made different choices. God, if you would have been here, I would not be so disenfranchised with my present. If you would have been here, my career would be in a different place. God, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have been bullied in school. God, if you would have been here, I wouldn't have been abused by that past leader. If you would have been here, I wouldn't have been hurt in that relationship. If you would have been here, I would have the money for the rent that is due. If you would have been here, you could have taken off the table the pain and the suffering that I'm going through. You ever feel that way? <laughs> I have. You want to know what's in my blank? Here's what's in my blank. God, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, wouldn't have lost a good friend to cancer this year. That's what's in my blank. I have something else in my blank. God, if you would have been here, I wouldn't be going through a kind of um, pain of loss at a personal level that I experience almost daily for the last year or so that hurts me, I think, every day. If you would have been here. If you would have been in this space, Where are you? And why don't you fix it? And Jesus, instead of solving it all, enters the pain and weeps with those who weep. Now, if we're honest, this is where our stories generally stop. We have to figure out, like I do, how to muddle through the pain. How to figure it out. Mary and Martha's brother has died. They got to move on. 
This is where most of us find in our lives right now. But what Jesus is about to do is he's about to do for one what he one day will do for all. He's about to show us what it means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What he does is he walks down to the tomb where Mary and Martha's brother has been buried now for four days. The stone is rolled away. And he steps up to the mouth and the opening of that tomb and he just speaks the future into existence and says, Lazarus, come out. And out walks a dead man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be there? Can you imagine what it would have been like to walk back into Bethany, the house of misery, the place where people think that God is absent from, that's where we send all the people who don't quite cut it while we worship in Jerusalem. But in Bethany, God has just shown up. And in walks Lazarus back into Bethany. And can you imagine the joy and celebration among the invalids, among the sick, among the people who pass on disease upon disease? to one another? Can you imagine the kind of joy and praise and overwhelmedness that they feel. Can you imagine that? Bethany comes to be known, instead of just Bethany, it comes to be known as Lazaria, the place of Lazarus. The name changes, the reputation changes because of what happens here. Just, it's amazing. You know, I'm reminded in these moments of pain what C.S. Lewis once said about times of pain. He says it this way. He said, when pain is to be borne, When pain is to be born, a little courage helps more than much knowledge. A little human sympathy more than much courage. And the least touch of the love of God more than all. Here's what he's saying. When you go through pain, a little knowledge helps a little bit. You ask the question, where is God when it hurts? Why does God allow what he can prevent? If you knew it, it would help a little bit. But what helps more than knowledge... a little bit of courage. That's going to help you even more than knowledge. But what helps more than courage is actually a little human sympathy, some friends, some family who just are present with you. But what helps even more than knowledge, courage, and human sympathy, what helps even more than that is the least touch of the love of God the least touch of the love of God, to feel that God has come and been present with you in your pain, that helps more than all of this combined. And at Christmas time, this is exactly what we celebrate at Christmas, that God came to us, that God came in the flesh, a baby born in a manger, that God brings his touch to you and to me. That that baby stands in Bethany and weeps with those who weep to bring the touch of the love of God. And so I don't know what's in your blank. God, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, I don't know what you wrestle with with God. I don't know what gets you up. I don't know what your frustration and pain is. I don't know where your place is exactly. Come on, but I know we have it, if we're honest. 
God, if you would have been here, <laughs> you would have been here. And here Jesus stands in Bethany in John chapter 11. And instead of answering the question, he stands there with you and with me. And he doesn't resolve the mystery of why does God allow what he could prevent? He doesn't solve it, but he does something very different. He enters the pain of humanity. And he's present in our emotions. He's present in our suffering. And he's present in our pain. The story ends at the end of the resurrection of Lazarus. The people, the extra people, kind of in the scene, so to speak, they have two different reactions. And John writes about it as he writes what happened. He's recording what happens in the story. And here's what he says. He says, therefore, as a result of this, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Simple idea. People saw it and they said, wow, I want to put my faith in him. I'm going to take this desire to trust something, and I'm going to trust Jesus with it. I'm going to take the pain that I have recognized that exists, but I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to try to find a place of rest for my soul, and I'm going to place that in Jesus. I'm going to rest in him. I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. And I don't know where you are this morning. See, some of us at some point in our past have made a decision about, hey, I'm going to trust Jesus and kind of walk through life that way. I, I get that, and I'm one of those people. But there's also times in life where we trust more or less, or we believe more or less, and I understand that too. It's called normal. But here's what happens again. We have to come back to this thing. The people who see what Jesus does, again, comes back to face that moment of where actually am I going to put the weight that I stand on, the desire to step into Jesus and trust him and have faith and belief that he is who he says he is. He is the resurrection and the life. So some people around the crowd believed in him. And if you have not ever believed in him, or you're at a spot where you're like, you know what, I did say that one time, but I need to step in again. I need to place more weight there. I need to have a renewed faith and belief and trust. I need to rest my anxious spirit on Jesus. That's the invitation of this morning. To rest your soul there. To trust him. To have faith that even though he allows what he could prevent, he is present in our suffering. But not everybody has this reaction. John continues to write. And as he writes, he also writes of these people. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. These people we call snitches. <laughs> What's underneath their snitching, and you know this, is fear. They are afraid that Jesus might actually be who he says he is, and we have to stop it. Because if he is... That means everything about my life and your life has to come under his leadership. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a moral leader. He is now positioning himself as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And out of fear, many of us reject it because it means too much. 
And if that's where you are, I just want to say I get it because you understand the implications of what it means if you say Jesus is the Savior of the world. It isn't just a mental decision. It means everything in your life comes under the rulership and the leadership of Jesus. It is a big, big deal. And so if you are there this morning, I just want to say I get that. But I also want to encourage you to consider Jesus as the one who is present in your pain, the one who is present in your suffering, the one who says to the people of Bethany, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I want to finish with this. Years ago, a song was written. You know the song. It's a Christmas song. It goes this way. Come. I want to get, make sure I get my words right. Come. <laughs> Don't actually come. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our, what? Good, no one knows the song. Let us find our rest. Thank you. Two of you who know that song. Good. Let us find our rest in thee. Come thou long expected Jesus. Come thou long expected Jesus. There's a future hope that we have. There's a place in the future that we want you to be like Martha did. I know Jesus in the future, you're the resurrection of life. Later on, you're going to solve all this, but my brother died today, right? Like, what can you do for me today? And this call of this song is, come thou long expected Jesus. Come and be present. You've come to set us free. And then let us, let us find our rest in thee. This Christmas season, with all the anxiety and grief and pain and joy that it brings, my hope for you is that you will be like this first group who finds their rest. Even though you have unresolved tensions, you have unresolved things in your relationships, you have people who are sick in your life right now and you don't know their future. You have things of this nature. Even though, even though all of this is circling around you and threatening you and the dark clouds are threatening you, even though, even though, that you will find your rest in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, and who comes to be present in the middle of your pain, even though he may not resolve it all, and even though he will still allow what he could prevent, that he has come to show us that he will do for all what he did for one in Lazarus, in the resurrection, being the resurrection and the life. And so my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that you can find rest this season. Not that it will all be resolved, but that you can have faith and trust and belief in Jesus. And if that is a conversation that you want to have, that is one that I would love to have with you. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, let us find our rest in thee. Will you pray with me this morning? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together this morning and to revisit an ancient town of Bethany and see what is there and to see how Jesus engages people who love him and friends that he has to see the savior of the world who could have snapped his fingers and healed everyone including Lazarus even from a distance and didn't need to go through all of this the days of waiting and pain and grief but yet he entered into our pain even though he didn't have to he did and I pray that you would give us that peace to find our rest in our Savior who is the resurrection and the life. 
who one day will do for all what he did for one on that day. All who have believed, like Martha did, like Mary did, and like Lazarus did, all who have believed that he is the resurrection and the life. And so I pray for us this morning that we would come to that place of belief and faith and rest, that our the weight of our souls can be rested on Jesus and all of what that means. And we do pray, as the song will lead us into, that you would come. You would come into our present day, that you would come to calm our fears, you would come to soothe our pain, and if need be, to weep next to us as we muddle our way through all the pain that we currently experience. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for sending Jesus, the resurrection and the life, to be with us, to be present. And it's in his name that we pray.